Hey guys, don't forget to check out the Street Cop Training Conference 2023, April 23rd through the 28th, Nashville, Tennessee, the Gaylord at Opry. What a center, what a place. We have amazing speakers, amazing training, five of the most impactful days of your career. Check it out at streetcop.com. You do not want to miss out. There is a room code available for a discounted room. Sign up now at streetcop.com. What's up, man? How are you? Uh, I'm doing well. I'm doing well. I've, I've been a viewer and listener of the Street Cop training for a while, so uh, this is amazing oh. that I'm opportunity to be a guest. I never thought I, I would ever be here. I, I appreciate it and uh, doing great. How about you? I'm like coming to you. I'm like, oh man, I hope I don't disappoint this guy. And like, you actually know who we are, which is great. Usually, it doesn't happen. Oh yeah, no, I've I've been listening for for a while now. Seriously, I'm a big uh, Thomas Rizzo fan as well. So yeah, oh, no, yeah I'm all yeah, about sure. some Street Cop training. Dan, I'm, I'm, I'm happy that you're here, man. I'm glad you are aware of who we are. And when did you uh, first get turned on to our shit? When I started diving into wellness for police officers, I, I quit full-time law enforcement August of 2020. Uh, that's when I started really diving into who was training police officers. And, and yeah, I came across you on LinkedIn. I actually sent you a message on, you know, how to, how to do the whole networking thing for, for cops across the country. And, and you just told me, you were like, man, you need to be tenacious about it. And uh, yeah, so that's, that's, that was my introduction to Street Cop. I'm glad I gave some sound advice. <laughs> yeah, well, you did. And <laughs> and it's very true. I mean, it, 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 this is not something, I mean, I know you, you of all people would know. I mean, you, this is not for the faint of heart. I mean, if you're going to stay on this road where no one's telling you to do it yet, you're going to do it. Even if you believe in the mission, if you don't have the discipline and the tenacity to go after it, it's not going to happen. Brother, I, uh, I got to tell you, I'm glad we're talking today because the amount of beat down that you will receive yeah, mentally on a journey like the ones that we are on will will they are not for the faint of heart that is for sure and you better have a big bucket of anxiety uh where you can you can store a lot of it and still have some room left over and it's not spilling out and tipping over because you'll be pushed to your limits mentally uh, yes in, on any mission besides one that maybe seem to be the more um sound route that people take yeah no i'm, I'm i've been experiencing that but it's been worth every bit of it because because every now and then i get this nugget of a cop saying, Hey, what you did saved my life or what you did brought me, brought me awareness to something that's like, okay, I, I got to keep going. Yeah, that's exactly right, dude. And uh, it's interesting. Sometimes it's the forces that you don't expect that will be the biggest impact uh, or detriment to what your mission is. And mental clarity is important. And, you know, experiencing mental unclarity has, has a significant impact on, on your ability to progress. Very true. Very true. I appreciate you saying that because I do need to get uh, work on my clarity and, and mission. So uh, hearing it from you, that, that means a lot. So I'll, I'll be more open and, uh, you know, more, give more feedback to myself and more aware. How about that? Uh, I mean, I heard you on another podcast I was listening to trying to do my research on you. I mean, you know, that stepping out and trying to take an, a look at yourself and kind of analyze the behavior that you're doing. And uh, I'm, I'm curious about some of that stuff. I try to keep myself in check quite a bit. Um, I find myself sometimes engaging in behaviors that I'm like, what? How do I do that? That's like so fucking weird. You know? Yeah. Same here. <laughs> it happens, dude. I, I think you're yeah. just human beings. What else are you going to tell? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. There's, as I told like criminals on the street when I was working as a cop uh, full time, you know, I mean, there, there's people that make mistakes and there's people that make mistakes and learn from the mistakes and move on. And wow, this entrepreneurship uh, journey has definitely been a learn from the mistakes and move on and, and keep moving on. 
if you can't deal with the mistakes or enjoy the mistakes or don't let the mistakes uh, dictate what your next move is going to be. I mean, in the sense of like, now you're going to be apprehensive and be fearful of taking any other steps forward. Um, you're never going to have progress. So yeah. mental health is a, is a significant factor in why maybe people who have progression and growth in the business sense or whatever kind of sense, um, even during tough times, continue to progress. It's, it's tough. I mean, I'm not going to sit here and tell you it's not. It's, it is not easy. There are times where it is easy. Don't get me wrong. But there are times when it's not as well. And it's all about perspective. I think you, you've uh, expressed that well in the way you talk, that it's about how you see it. And are you seeing the right things? True. It, it is all about perspective. Definitely. So give us the Reader's Digest version of who Scott Medlin is. Scott Medlin is a guy who was really lost in high school. <laughs> had no idea where my life was going to go in high school. Had no idea who I was or any of that. But then I, the recruiter came in to the U.S. history class when I was in 11th grade, uh, the Marine Corps recruiter, and he, he, he impressed me a lot. I, I went into the Marines after high school, but I just went into the reserves so I could go to college and then earn my commission after college. But little at that time in, in high school did I anyone predict 9-11, 2001. Well, that happened the first day I came back from boot camp leave as an official Marine it was 9-11, 2001. And I called my dad. I said, dad, I'm going to war somewhere. Like, I don't know where, but like, th this is crazy. And dad said, oh, we'll be fine. But yeah, okay. To fast forward two more years, 2003, the Iraq war happens. And then I go back and I come home safely and then uh, go back in 05. And after that, uh, I had met my now wife and, she, and they were already talking about in 2007 or so t sending us back for a third time. She said, I can't handle a deployment. I said, okay, I'll get out. Got out and I knew always wanted to work in law enforcement and that's when the law enforcement career started from 07 to 2020 full-time and then I just left part-time after two almost two years of working part-time in it because we moved to Florida so we just moved out of state and for right now I'm, I stay home and take care of my kids because I value them a lot you know it's interesting you bring this up um <clears throat> this morning I watched a TED talk and I'll tell you which what what it was and I think it's good for everybody to listen to so every morning as oddly as this sounds I sit down, I meditate for 22 minutes. I calm the body, calm the mind, get my, get my appreciations in and how I envision myself, sometimes short-term, sometimes long-term. And that's a lot of things. That's my relationships with people in my life. Um, that's my physical being, uh, my productive business sense. This is what I do. Then typically what I do, because I try not to fuck up my circadian rhythm, is I usually make breakfast for the whole family, do it every single day. I make a fucking continental breakfast and then make a cup of coffee and I'll sit down while I'm drinking a cup of coffee and try to get something in on the big screen in the living room, uh, but not something that most people typically would watch. I'm not trying to wind down my day. I'm trying to wind up my day. And that's really my routine. And I'll tell you what that was. It was, it's Robert Waldinger, What Makes a Good Life. And I think it's about 18 minutes long. And essentially, the nutshell version of it is they studied these men for like 75 years and started introducing women to these studies. And thousands actually participated in the event of what they thought was important. And at the end of the life, what actually was important. And typically, most people start with thinking that it's fame and fortune. But what they found out later on, it was connection 
with human beings and having really sustainable and deep, meaningful relationships with everybody in your life. And they take work to get to those. Uh, and how detrimental being in a toxic relationship can be for somebody's personal being. They actually said the people who live the longest had the healthiest and strongest relationships with people who meant a lot to them. And I can definitely so understand that. For you to say that you're going, you know, you've decided to spend more time with your kids. Like I applaud you, dude. So go back to your biography. It was January of 2020. I was 12, 13 years-ish on the job. And that's when I learned for the first time that more police officers were dying by suicide. And I thought, wait a minute, why am I just now learning this? This is ridiculous because they were bringing it to light because, you know, 2019 was such a deadly year with over 230 officer suicides. A number like that hadn't been seen. I don't know if it ever. And it just burned me up inside. I said, wait a minute, you, you mean the depression, the addiction, the post-traumatic stress I went through? If y'all would have just made me maybe a, a little bit more aware of this, I wouldn't have had such steep and bad downs as I did throughout the career and, and witnessed other friends of mine going through the same thing. If you would have just had training about mental health and good training about it. Instead, I learned about it 12 years on the job. That didn't sit well with me. So I just made it my mission. I said, I don't like seeing my brothers and sisters in blue miserable. And I did as much research as I could. And I, and I worked uh, early mornings, late nights. And I wrote my first book, Mental Health, Fight of the Heroes in Blue. And I, I got it out late April of 2020. And that was the first one. And I've just pretty much been on this mission since. I, I just It just kills me that people who sign up to do a job and they're so excited to do it, end up taking their own lives. It just, it broke my heart. So yeah, I've been on the mission ever since. And, and I don't come to anyone as a, as a know-it-all by any means. I come to someone as backup, someone who's been treated for depression and addiction and post-traumatic stress disorder. Like I've been through some nasty stuff and I just want to say, you can work your way out of it. Uh, you really can. One book is called The 101 Health Tips for Police Officers, correct? Yes, that was my second book. What is the correlation between body and mind and how important is it? To understand that it's connected. And that's something I really didn't know until I started doing my research, that negative thoughts that, like, say, for instance, a crime scene that was bloody, gory or upsetting. Heck, even witnessing a child that's been a victim of a horrific crime. And, it, and you, you think about that and you relive. My gosh, I didn't know our bodies were having physiological reactions to it. And essentially, the mind at some points can risk not knowing the difference between the thought and the reality. So the correlation is we're connected head to toe. And, but also if you're not taking care of yourself physically and you're eating a bunch of sugar all the time, because it's easy to do on shift, we always like to grab the, the quick and easy cookie at the gas station or, or, the, or the power bars or the monster drinks or, or the pot or coffee by the pot, not by cup. It can really take a toll on, on, our, on our mental health too. I didn't know all that. What do you say to somebody who continues to misbehave with food that way? I, well, the first thing I say is don't guilt or shame yourself. I, I still to this day eat sometimes out of reaction to anxiety. So I say don't guilt and shame yourself. Don't say, I can't believe I just had a bad meal again all because I felt bad. You're, you're not going to work your way out of it because of shame or guilt. But have the mental strength to know that you do have the discipline within you to make the habit harder. Get all the bad stuff out of your house and don't bring any of it in because you're probably not going to eat two or three cookies like you say you will just so you can keep it in the house. Get the bad stuff away from you. Just like they say, get bad people out of your life. 
I mean, obviously family, you got to stay in touch with at some point, but, but you, you limit your time with toxic people, limit your time with toxic food, or just get it out of the house. And then just keep working at it day in and day out and acknowledge when you're doing better and, and really take time to give yourself good accolades and feel it and know that that is going to feel better in the long run than that short burst of, oh, that cookie was so good. And then all of a sudden you're feeling guilty about it a minute later. And don't get me wrong, I'm still working on this, uh, but I'm doing a heck of a lot better. And I also recommend uh, intermittent fasting. That's something I picked up about the last year and a half ago. And I mean, it has really changed my life. It really has. And it, and it gets your body into, uh, that I, th- I think it's called the state of ketosis, where you won't be craving sugar as much or, or at all. So that's, those are kind of the, the highlights, I say. I want to say there's a book I read recently, and actually not even done with it. And it's called Two Meals a Day by Mark Sisson. Oh, okay. uh, real good book, real good read. And even if it's an audio book, it's very good. And I think in the first three chapters, you'll probably be pretty convinced that you're going to change the way you live. And then if you feel like you're falling off of that plan, and it's not even a plan, it's just a lifestyle change. And for most people, it's actually an easy lifestyle change. Me, I was actually apprehensive to, to hear that book because I was like, ah, I don't want to hear it yet. But when I was de- decided that I was going to hear it, I was glad that I did because it really made an impact in my life. And I certainly can correlate what I'm putting into my body to what I'm getting out of my body. So it's just saying garbage in, garbage out. Very sure. I actually made a note here on my pad. I watched a, another TED Talk because I'm on my TED Talk binge right now. Awesome. Trying to catch up on all of these. And I think it was the woman who wrote Eat, Pray, Love. It was either that or it was another woman. And I can't remember her name. But I do with the power of vulnerability. One thing that they finished the program was with was small changes equal big results. So little by little, you can go through your life acknowledging what things that you're doing that probably are contributing to the negative lifestyle that you're living and begin to adjust accordingly. So I always tell people, some people may ask me, hey, what do you think I should do for a diet? Well, the first thing is, Stop drinking soda. Yeah. You know, you got to knock it off. You you want to get water and put lemon in it because you don't like the taste of water or whatever you've convinced your body to. I mean, I remember I said about this yesterday. My my whole life, we had uh like the sugary iced tea. That's what we lived on at my house. So you take three scoops, like Lipton, dump it in the thing, spin it around, and that's how we lived our lives. And you know, it took it took some real discipline to break that habit. I actually went to from that over to Crystal Light thinking it was better. And then I realized that was not good either. I just needed to go with just straight up water. And once I made the decision and started really drinking water consistently, I feel like that really changed my life. You know, I'm going to be 41 this year. Uh, when I go out, people think I'm 26, 27. Sometimes the, late, the most I get is 30, 31 years if, uh, old. And, and the reason I believe is because of the way that I'm behaving with food uh, and personal responsibility of my uh, physical fitness and I'm not saying that to brag. I'm saying that to try to create an example of like, yeah, I struggle with it too. You know what I mean? I eat chocolate chip cookies over the weekend. I'm not going to sit here and lie and tell you I didn't. They're fucking delicious, but I regret yes. them on Monday. Yes. I just came back from vacation. Do you think I ate well? Absolutely not. But I didn't put that expectation that I would so that when I did eat bad, I didn't get onto myself. I was like, it's vacation. I, I gave myself permission to eat bad, just like you gave yourself permission to eat the cookies. But But we know that we have it within us for the discipline to to get back on track and not do 
dwell in the negative and beat ourselves up and stuff like that. Cause you're not going to work yourself out of it, but yeah, that, but the, Hey, that's awesome. Uh, people are coming up to you saying, Hey, Dennis, you, you look like your twenties and they're guessing you're in your twenties and you're 41. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's pretty good. It's good for the ego. <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's go into, as I was doing a little research on you and I want to discuss some of these things, be behaviors and addictions and what causes them and how to recognize what they look like. Yeah, it was only, and it's always embarrassing for me to talk about this, but I, I think if it helps one officer get away from their addiction or, or be, at least be more mindful of not getting into one, then so be it. Uh, I, I was less than two years on the job and I got addicted to porn. And I thought to myself, why is a goody two shoes Catholic boy like being addicted to porn? I never really know the root cause of it. I think it was because I wasn't handling the up and down of the job. I'm talking going from maybe five hours on shift of not much going on to the armed robbery, two suspects fleeing, both have guns, the adrenaline's pumping, and then you finish out a busy shift and you have to go home and, or, or, you know, you go home and then there's nothing, just quiet. And if you don't take the time to settle your system down, I'm talking mentally and physically, then your body can start craving the rush. That's my best guess at a self-diagnosis. But anyway, back to the addiction, it was bad. I just, one thing led to another. And then I'm like, I can't go to sleep. I'm, I'm, I'm staying up with, with this stuff. This is bad. And then about three months into it, I think to myself, what is life like without this addiction? And then I'm hurting for the people that I've, been responding to on calls who are addicted to crack or heroin. I'm like, Oh my God, they do not see their life without this stuff. And I just made a decision. I prayed and I said, I need help out of this because I was going to get be getting married in a year. I was like, I had to get rid of this. It's just that decision that no matter what or how bad it gets to grow from it and work your way out of it. And I did, I sought professional assistance. It's not weakness. It's not, I don't care what any anyone says I couldn't do it on my own. I needed some assistance. Fortunately, it was there. And I worked my way out of it. That was the, I was the first brush with an addiction I'd had. Tell me some of the processes of what a professional did to help you uh, get out of that. I guess I'll call it a vicious cycle. He made it very clear that the pleasure center of the brains were releasing substances into my, were releasing the pleasure substances and I'm saying this in like kind of common English because I can't even remember all the scientific terms. But then the, 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 the parts of the brain that release the pleasure substance would then close and the pleasure substance was out there in the brain, therefore a, a high. He said, porn has the same effect as crack cocaine where the pleasure substance is closed that releases and then it closes so that, so that it's just that high. And then he said, there's something in your brain telling you that you need that stuff. He didn't say you need this stuff. No, no, no. He said, there's something in your brain telling you that you need it. And we need to find out what that is and work your way through it. And, and basically he, he tapped into my faith and I, I, anyone, if, if someone doesn't believe in God, if they're not Christian, then I went through neuro-linguistic programming. It basically taps into your higher calling and says, give the images give the temptations all to this higher calling. So I would, I would visualize all the damage I had done, all the, all the, all the stuff I had watched. And I just 
put it at the cross and then shifted my, and then he helped me shift my focus in life back towards what was important. Like, like my, my soon to be wife, having a good police career, not being addicted to something. And don't get me wrong. It took time, but it worked. It was just that continuous, relentless effort to not let it defeat me. You were talking before I wrote notes that said white space on the calendar is the devil. Heard that in a book one time. Oh, yeah. So, well, yeah. I think um, keeping ourselves busy with good, positive stuff is important and staying committed to those things as well. Yeah. And doing things that are productive because everyone can say, not everyone, but a lot of people say, well, I'm busy. But what are they doing that's actually getting a return on value or, or doing that's uh, bringing value to other people. Are, are you too busy on your phone checking social media? Hey, I'm guilty as charged. That's why I bring it up. I, I, you got to be mindful of this kind of stuff. But but you're right. When we are idle, and that's what really affected a lot of people, in my opinion, during the pandemic, where we weren't allowed to be around each other. And and some people went into straight isolation. It, not good on mental health. And I know the statistics are coming out. Not good. But that's that's a good way to put it. White, white white space on the calendar is not a good thing. As you talk, I think about life being a continuous journey, and I don't think there's ever a resolution or a perfect answer to anything that you're doing. But I think that when you try to be productive in some sense, something good always comes out of it. Maybe not in the first week or the first month, but it could be some time later on down the road that you're planting all these seeds of productivity. And all of a sudden, you look around and you're you're in this great farm looking to harvest some of the work that you've done for yourself. Absolutely. 101 health tips for police officers. What are some of the top five to 10 health tips that you recommend in your book? The first one for the physical aspect, because it's broken down physical, mental, spiritual, and social. The first thing I mentioned is physical. I say intermittent fasting. I've been fascinated by fasting. I mean, we as Americans, I believe, have just been taught to just find, I mean, this is going to sound dramatic, but in, yeah, I think it's true, just refuge in food and embrace food. And it's obviously a big thing in our culture. You know, I mean, when people get together, what do they do? They eat. I'm not knocking eating. Good gosh, no, I'm far beyond just textbook dieter or, or nutritionist by any means. <laughs> but I've noticed that to combat, and I started doing this when I had like two or three years left full-time in law enforcement, actually. Uh, now that I think about it, because 2019, I was working at an alternative school and it was pretty draining. I mean, it, there, there were some days when I left just exhausted. I noticed that when I was doing intermittent fasting, 16 hour fast and only eating within an eight hour window and doing my best to re remain eating healthy food, my energy increased and my ability and willingness to handle the stress of the job was really improving as well. So I mentioned intermittent fasting, and then I mentioned have a morning routine. Give yourself time. And you've already, you've already touched on what you do, Dennis. I mean, I, I encourage all officers or anybody listening, you can't wake up and have jump right into it. You just can't. I mean, you can, but it's not really going to bring any value to you and help to strengthen your mind and or body if, say, you exercise in the morning. So give yourself a routine. Brian Tracy is someone I listen to a lot. He said, wake up two hours prior to having to be anywhere. And that gives yourself time. Uh, and then I, I put a lot of quotes in the book. I'm all about reading good quotes because what you expose your mind to is essentially what you can become. And I, and I love inspirational quotes. So I put a bunch of them in there. So I, I, I encourage someone to do that. Um, 
I'm trying to think of all 101 I wrote, even though you said only say five. Another one is nutrition. Really research foods that you don't really know about and how they can benefit you. Like I take uh, chlorella and spirulina. I, mean, I even joke in the book, no, I'm not playing a game of Scrabble. That, those, are the, those are the names of them. And they, and they help put more antioxidants in your body. So what are we down to? Four? I got one more. I, I say have friends outside of law enforcement. I mean, seriously, that, that's a huge one. And when you are with those friends, make sure they are great people who bring value to your life. If all you do is go from a negative environment in law enforcement where it's dealing with the worst of the worst in society or dealing with people when they're at their worst or having a bad day, because there's that saying, you know, nobody calls 911 to tell the cops they're having a great day. And then you have the, uh, the, the, the gossip wheel and the, the toxicity within a department that happens, some larger than others. You have to be mindful of are the people outside of the job who you're friends with, are they bringing negativity as well? Because you, you have to be able to get away from negativity and having friends outside of the law enforcement will not only help you be able to talk about other things, but they can really help you recharge from a mental and physical aspect. They, they, they really can. And I say mental and physical because, like I said uh, before, we're connected head to toe. I'd say from, from that book, those are the top five, but there's obviously a lot more to it, and I encourage anyone to get it. It's an easy read. Uh, sorry for all the Marines out there. I didn't put any pictures or crayons, but <laughs> it's a good book. Also, over the weekend in one of those TED Talks between the two that I listened to, I heard another phrase that you just triggered in my brain again, because I'm trying to retain this stuff as I hear it. And there's a common saying that says, fake it till you make it. And what they say is, fake it till you become it. I love that. That's great. Sure. Start acting like the way you think you want to live your life and become. And Absolutely. Also, become it. It's the truth. And, and visualize it too. See it. I mean, make believe in your mind. It, it, it can really turn into a reality. Part of my meditation process that I do twice a day. Um, in the summer, the past week, I've been a little lack thereof. And so <laughs> yesterday in my backyard, I said, well, I'll just immediately go right to a meditation. It seemed like the right time. It was hot out. I was on a lounge chair reading case law, part of my meditation process, I manifest. And when I said earlier about manifesting my physical being, I really do in my mind, imagine myself as this, you know, physically fit looking person. It's part of like, I'm looking down, I'm seeing a very flat stomach. I'm seeing, uh, you know, really, really cut arms. And it sounds crazy. It may sound a little fucking strange for people listening to it as well, but you know, that's the importance of manifestation. Now, I'm not sitting there manifesting that I'm going to be the president of the United States. Uh, I have no interest in that. I'm not manifesting that I'm going to dominate and rule the world. But I do manifest like a lifetime of enjoyment with my children, yeah. a lifetime of good relationships with people, uh, appreciation for people that I work with, um, and, and all these things, these people in my life that are important. So yeah, I mean, I don't think we're, I think you could fake it or at least imagine it till you become it. And it's interesting what happens when you start to manifest. People will often gawk and laugh, especially cops. I mean, people who have really no imagination into the idea that these things actually work. Sure, it sounds like some fucking hocus pocus shit. No question about it, right? You listen to it for the first time. 26 year old Dennis being able to laugh in your face, told you you were a fucking nut. Uh, but at 40, 41, I'm a believer. If you told me we're going to do mescaline in the fucking woods, but it's going to help me professionally, like, I'm like, all right, dude, let's fucking do it. Like, is this going to be safe? 
but I'm just willing to try things because some of the things that I've been the most apprehensive about that I took the leap of faith on ended up being the best things of my life. Now I'm not advocating everybody to do mescaline in the goddamn woods. I'm just saying. <laughs> gotcha. Roger that. But I, I did listen to that episode where you had Emily Fletcher on. She was very powerful. And I do talk to police officers about meditation. I say, I say, wait, 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 stop, stop, stop. Before you start getting all these thoughts about, I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to do that. It's too wooey wooey. Please listen. I'm not trying to tell you to sit crisscross applesauce for an hour and a half and just go all no, not at all. Like start by just sitting a minute or going on a walk without your cell phone or, or listening to something that's a, that can bring you into a meditative state. This is not anything ridiculous. And then you can, it's kind of like working out. You can more, get more intense with it. Uh, do it for a longer period of time. And then just like working out, you start to see results and, and it brings clarity. It can help fight addictions. It can help you sleep better. And I mean, I'm, I'm not telling you anything you don't know, but for those that are apprehensive about it, I, I would say, just give it a try because what, what is the worst it could do? Probably nothing bad. So give it a try, especially if you're, if you're just in this hamster wheel mentally and physically Everything really starts from the mind, the decision to do something or the decision to see yourself being somewhere where you're not yet, but you want to be, then visualize it, meditate. I'm all for it. Really am. Show me a person who can get to the gym 30 days for 30 days for a month, right? Get 30 days in and I'll show you somebody's going to work out for life. Absolutely. Because dude, I'm telling you, once you start to see and envision results, which usually take about 30 days to start actually seeing some results. I become highly addictive. I mean, I don't know if I'll ever stop. And I'm trying to have a life that is completely fulfilled. It is going very fast. Um, you know, I'm, I'm in here for the long haul. I'm not playing the short-term game that, oh, I'm going to get terminal disease tomorrow. What's this all work? I'm like, yo, like, y'all motherfuckers are going to be sitting here being at doctor's appointments in your 70s. I went to a, a, a blood work drawn a few months ago. And the woman said, who's your, who's your doctor? I said, what do you mean? And she said, who's your, who's your practitioner? Who do you see? I go, I haven't seen a fucking doctor in like 15 years. And she's like, what do you mean? I'm like, I don't go to the doctor. I haven't been to the doctor in 15 years. I don't know what you're talking about. Like I can try to go back to the last time I saw a doctor, but I haven't been, I've been to the dentist. Like I said, my dentist is like over six months. Right. But I haven't had to see a medical practitioner. Um, and I don't know if it's the luck of the draw, but I'm certainly believing that some of my decisions in life you know, there's, there's a saying I love. It says, you want to do an hour uh, a day at the gym now or an hour a day at the fucking doctor later? Your choice. Yeah, no kidding. Really. And uh, unfortunately, with I think the line of work of law enforcement, it can bring so much stress that that's why people get sick. I had so many, I'm not going to say so many, but I could count on one hand how many cops I knew who were getting cancer. And I mean, I, obviously, we don't know exactly what caused it, but... I mean, wow, I think the stress and, and, and the up and down and the, the shift work and all that really had something to do with it. Uh, so life choices are extra important within the law enforcement career, especially because just like you said, I mean, an hour in the gym can prevent an hour in the doctor later on. That's why it's all the more important reason to take care of yourself. But that's pretty awesome. You haven't been to a, a uh, doctor in 15 years and they were shocked by your blood work. My, like uh, 
a lot of people are on prescription medication. You know, they just automatically ask the question, what medications are you on? Or they don't ask, are you on any medications? What medications are you on? And I say, I'm on nothing. They're like, what, what you're on nothing. I mean, my dad, he's the same way. He's, he's going to be turning 70. And they say, what medications are you on? Uh, nothing. And they're like, what, what, huh? What? <laughs> so yeah, I get it. Life, life decisions. Scott, what else do you want to talk about? I would say what I noticed in, in, a lot of while going through law enforcement and seeing Americans in general, busyness, stress can be worn as like a badge of honor with some people. And then also surviving until retirement and then being happy when retirement comes. I really felt bad for a lot of people uh, that I was working with when they just constantly talked about, I've got 15 years left. Heck, I saw one girl one time she posted, I just hit the five year mark. I've got 25 years left. I was like, oh, gosh, why would you look at it that way? And don't get me wrong. I've complained on the job numerous times. I got caught up in the gossip wheel. That Don't get me wrong. I'm no, I'm no saint here. But I think that's something that a lot of cops really need to be mindful of because that's the start of a that could be the start of very negative habits and behaviors and thought patterns. And you don't have to go through life that way. You, you really don't have to. But that's something that comes to mind that I really try to help police officers with. And if and if the job is becoming a little too much there's nothing wrong with leaving if, if you've worked on your mental health and your physical health and you've re-examined and shifted your perspective a little bit and it's still not working it's okay walk away the department will be fine without you we were unpacking a lot of theories that i have going into this I, and i'm going to just start with this one i really believe that social environments are everything and who you're surrounding yourself with uh, is important. And unfortunately, it is a very toxic environment, typically at most police departments, very toxic. And toxicity is very, very contagious. And I have even been a detriment of believing what I hear, believing what I see, not having positive influence, not having positive role models. And I think that's why street cop training plays a good role in law enforcement, remind people that, look, you don't have to see it the way everybody else fucking sees it. And those guys, you got to be careful, like drug dealers. They're going to tell you, they're like, they're demons. You got to watch out for those folks because they're they're trying to bait you in because misery loves company. Grass isn't always greener. Go on my Instagram. I just did one yesterday, right, about the, leaving a, a, a toxic agency. Grass isn't always greener. And one guy wrote back to the guy and said, well, he's a little grass. He goes, well, I can agree with that. But when I see somebody commenting things like that, I say to myself, man, man, I, I just can't imagine mentally where they're at and how troubled they really are on the inside and how guarded they are on their ability to put the walls down and explain where all that comes from. They'll never do it. Uh, or it takes a lot of work to get to that, which is important to acknowledge, to try to have some resolution in the mental health epidemic of law enforcement officers. No question about it. You're walking into an environment every day where you have to try to stay positive. And I found myself at some point in my career, looking left and right at muster room going, I just don't want to hear these motherfuckers complain anymore. Like I'm just, just not this type of person the fucking complaining every fucking day in this goddamn muster room every single day. This one got that, that, that one got this, this isn't fair. We only got this in a contract. You hear this now, blah, 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 this, that like, and again, there, there are a lot of factors to consider of why it was that there's administrative accountability beating up these people for no reason nonstop. 
because of poor leadership. They're just coming out with policies to try to resolve issues that actually resolving the issues. So yeah, it beats the fuck out of everybody. You know, then they want to know why you're not happy at work or why you're quitting or why you're leaving, go to another agency. So there's a there's a whole world that we can unpack now. But I guess in the in the interest of a conversation between you and I, this is where I see some of that stuff. No, and that's very insightful. I also believe what can lead to this negativity is bear with me here, but but police officers are pretty much trained well enough overall to be instinctive of external risks, external factors. You walk up to a car in a traffic stop, you see the person looking at you through the side view mirror, or maybe they're removing their hand under the seat right as you put on those blue lights, or they won't sit still. They answer a question with a question because they're thinking of a good lie to come up with. Or when you get out with someone, they blade their body and start patting their waist. All these things you need to be aware of as risk factors that someone could be hiding something or willing to do something to you that could get you hurt. But we're never really trained overall on the internal risks, the internal factors, especially when we get into it and say, hey, if you become asocial, if you become hopeless, if you become, if, if your family is saying you're changing, if if, if you're having uh, you know, low self-esteem or you feel like you're a burden or, or, or you're just tired all the time, even when you take days off and you're still just exhausted, all these things and many, many more, just like many, many external factors you have to be aware about. We need to be aware about the internal on, on our own. And then here are the solutions as such as meditation, good habits, eating well, all these different things. And I think if the, the culture kind of shifts towards police, Police officers taking care of themselves as much as they're willing to take care of the public and, and protect them and respond and help, then I think we can turn that negativity around because you'll have more of a wholesome person coming into work versus someone who's doing what the brain likes to do, seek the easy way out, which is be negative because it's so much more easier to be negative than to actually have positive perspectives or work on your health. And I think that needs to shift as well. And I think it can help rid the, uh, the negativity. And, and, and if someone is, is surrounded by negativity, I mean, heck, it led me to quit after my first year at the department where I had dreamed of working about for years. I quit and went somewhere else all because of, I believe, some negative officers. Unfortunately, the department, the other department took me back, but I, I found myself having to find support from other people, not just talking to the negative officers. Or, you know, not putting a lot of expectation on certain people that were just good at managing and not leading. I would call the leaders I knew when I was down, stuff like that. But I really do think that the internal risks and internal factors, we really need to have them front and center just as much as we do the external stuff. And it might be able to shift things. Do you think somebody recognizes and acknowledges that their behavior is toxic behavior or especially somebody who wants to change how they feel? What's that stepping out of the box type of thing that you talked about? Oh, yeah. When, when I got home from Iraq, I was I was going through post-traumatic stress symptoms, post-traumatic stress disorder symptoms, because there was an incident that where I almost got killed. And I, I just I mean, that, that thing went on replay and my, that event went on replay in my mind. And I I was reliving it. You know, physically, I came home mentally. I didn't. And it led to just the pure detriment of the relationship I had with my family. And my dad told me. I'm losing you, son. I am losing you. Please go get assistance. And here's who can help. And it was actually the same doctor that helped me through the addiction, but he had me step out. And he said, you're seeing this incident. Like you're still in it. Step out, see yourself go through it. 
I said, what are you talking about? I see myself go through it all the time. He said, no, no, you see it happening. Step out, third person, like a video game. See yourself going through it. And we visualized it. And I could see the emotions I was feeling, but not feel the emotions personally. Hope that makes sense. But it was a disassociation method. And I believe that when we, disass- we, we learn to be aware enough and understand the fact that we're human, and we have to work on ourselves because we're never going to be perfect. When we're aware of that, hopefully it leads to more awareness that I need to work on myself and, and, and stepping out and disassociating from those emotions that you feel when you think about something or explaining, step out, see what you're doing, be aware. It's a way of disassociating, reliving those emotions and you can, you can realign and attach to other things that can help you, other emotions that can actually help you and bring value to yourself, which can in turn bring value to other people. Because our, our family relationship started improving a lot after, after all that treatment and, and stepping out. And I had to do the same thing after n- numerous incidents involving uh, police, particularly suicides. It broke my heart to respond to a successful suicide. It really did. But I would replay the images of the dead bodies over and over and over again. I was like, wait, 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 gosh, I'm doing it again. And, and one time I did go get assistance for it or opened up about, out about it to my wife just to disassociate from the negativity that we're constantly fed and or feeling because of experiences on the job. How important is it to find somebody when you're talking to them who is not going to cast judgment on you? There's obviously that level of trust. This is why I sought professional assistance quite a bit if I knew something was bothering me because I, I didn't really feel confident enough to confide in anyone at the police department when it came to actual mental health symptoms that I was going negative mental health symptoms that I was going through. And for all those cops out there who think, oh, if I get professional assistance, it could reflect bad on me in my career. I'll just say, I can't speak for everyone. But for me, I went through 10 years of counseling off and on. The department never knew about it. And it never affected, you know, the, the confidentiality. I mean, they never broke the confidentiality. So, so that's just a, a, a bar. I just wanted to say that, you know, if you probably helped you. In uh, your yeah, absolutely. It did. It did. When, when I was going through those lows, I, I had to work my way back up. But when someone is judging you, it's, it's an, it's an opinion. I value more what I know about myself than someone else's opinion about me. That's why I opened up about the addiction I went through. That's why I opened up about the symptoms of post-traumatic stress disorder because if someone's going to judge they're going to judge but to but to value yourself enough to know that something may be wrong or something's bothering you and you need outside assistance don't settle for the opinions of others seek growth so that you can become that much better as a person work your way out of these hard times so that they can make you stronger and not defeat you that, that's really what i say when it comes to well, you know, casting judgment, particularly at work, the old alpha male, alpha male setting <laughs> where it's, you know, I'm too tough to get counsel. I'm good. I'm fine. What's wrong with you? Nothing's wrong with me. I'm just bothered by something and I'm going to seek my way out of it through healthy habits and so forth. Scott, where can people find the book? Find you. I have a YouTube channel. It's slowly growing, but I've enjoyed having it for the, for the last almost two years now, the 10 code mindset. And I do police topics as well, just because I was in it for so long. And then if you go to amazon.com, you can type in my name, Scott Medlin, my books come up, or you can go to my website, thescottmedlin.com. 
www.thepolicemaker.com. I'll be speaking at a police department in the next few weeks. Look forward to training them. And uh, yeah, you can, I, I'll be glad to connect, come out and train people or follow me on the YouTube if, if you want just a free guide and resource. And I speak a lot about my mistakes, my, my journey through mental health, and then what I've learned since about how we can really overcome this mental health epidemic we're in. And ultimately, it, it's going to sound crazy, but a cop can create a fulfilled life. You don't have to be miserable. You really don't. Hard times are going to come. That's an, that's an, that's uh, going to happen. But how you react to it and what you get out of it, that, that's what's important. I want to end this podcast with something I said earlier, because I think it's important. And I don't want people to miss it. It was small changes equal big results. So yeah. small changes, what do I mean by that? A little bit just to give some context. You're hungry. You're seeing McDonald's you move on past it, you figure it out, you employ the discipline to not eat McDonald's that night and find something healthier. Or if you have to eat McDonald's, the only option you have, you opt for the salad and like, see how you feel after eating the salad. And if you're still hungry, eat another salad. Um, but it's those small changes. It's something simple as if you're gonna get a hamburger, maybe get it without cheese. Uh, maybe get it because processed cheese is horrendous for you. Uh, maybe instead of getting French fries, as nuts as this sounds, maybe getting chicken nuggets because there's actually some protein value in the nuggets to go along with the. So it's things like that. It's instead of going for the the Sprite or the orange soda or the high C, it's to opt for the bottle of water that they offer. When you start making these small changes, you start seeing big results. You just got to keep at it, keep making those small little decisions and they have significant impact on your life. I mean, really, um, we can go on for days about what decisions are better decisions, but that's a really good discipline to employ. And I think that people can anticipate having a more fulfilled life, making decisions like that. Absolutely. Because you can't make a huge goal. Like tomorrow I won't eat chocolate or tomorrow I won't drink beer. And then all of a sudden you drink it and then you just guilt yourself. And then all of a sudden the, this bad cycle starts. It's, it's small decisions that that's, that's what it is because the motivation, that initial motivation, yeah, I'm going to lose 50 pounds. I'm going to do it. That motivation is going to wear off and it's going to be those small decisions, small habits that you do that will be allowed, but that will enable you to lose those 50 pounds rather than that motivation that will wear off. So you're, you're absolutely right, Dennis, the, the small choices and the small habits they'll add up. Takes discipline folks. Yeah, that's just the truth. It's not easy, but it's worth it. All right, man. It's great having you, brother. Thank you, Dennis. Thank you.